This week on A Lively Experiment, the schedule is set for the special election in the 1st Congressional District as the floodgate opens for candidates announcing a run. And financial uncertainty continues to surround the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium project as Governor McKee tries to reassure skeptics. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., for over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's panel, former state representative Mike Marcello, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, and former Rhode Island Attorney General Arlene Violet. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. We will have more on the indictment of Donald Trump momentarily. But first, the Rhode Island Secretary of State announced this week that the primary for CD1 will be right after Labor Day and the general on November 7th, largely mirroring last year's election cycle. This, as 10 candidates as of this taping, have said that they will run to try and replace David Cicilline in Washington. Mike, let me begin with you. Uh, I don't know whether we should get a pool going on what that number <laughs> is ultimately going to be, but it looks like it's growing. It's going to grow. I think uh, there are more people looking to it. I know that there, there's a, the mayor of Winsocket has in, indicated she may be looking into it. Uh, I know very well the mayor of East Providence is uh, looking into it seriously as well. So I think it will grow. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a no-risk uh, no situation, right? People who are in elected office right now can put their name in, collect 500 signatures, grow their name recognition. If they lose, they got better rain, uh, name recognition. If they win, they go to Congress. So it's, uh, it's uh, very tempting to a lot of people who currently hold seats. You, would you think money also, I mean, you could get out probably for under a million? Probably, think? yeah. I mean, all you need really technically is 500 signatures to get on the ballot for the primary. It's going to be a very interesting primary. Um, CD1 is more liberal than CD2. Um, so, but I think there's just going to be a mix of candidates that are going to you know, join in. Uh, Providence is really where the, a lot of the votes are. Providence, Pawtucket, Woonsocket, uh, East Providence. Is Scribbian going to jump in? Rumor is, is that he's thinking, seriously thinking about it. Um, so... You know, that's, it's, again, it's almost like a free ride. Put your name up. If you lose, you build your name recognition. You build your fundraising list. Um, but if you win, you go to Congress. It's a short, such a short period of time, though. Name recognition is key. So, I mean, there are a lot of people I've never heard of. Arlene, you have much greater name recognition than a lot of these people. Any chance Arlene Violet would run? Uh, well, I certainly don't want to talk about the candidates who are running because I, it is a potential conflict of interest for me okay. uh, to do that. It would be unfair to them. But I have been asked by people that I respect to con consider it. Uh, I look at it, Jim, that without question, we have like a gleeful bigotry in this country where citizen is turned against citizen. And regrettably, far too many members of Congress fan that uh, despicable uh, pitting of one person against the other because all they want to do is just get reelected and the heck with the Constitution and the values that this country stands for. So what's attractive about and tempting uh, for me to consider running uh, is because I would like to call them out on that. Uh, and I think I would have that kind of form. But on the other hand, uh, I have responsibilities and commitments uh, that I have to very seriously weigh. And when I look at those commitments, it reminds me that uh, my first job was to clerk for the senior justice of the Rhode Island Supreme Court. And Julie Michelson, that wonderful attorney general, said, I'll, I'll give you the consumer fraud head job if you come in January. I said, no, I got a commitment to May. And I turned him down. But he waited 
uh, in May. And I, I, I couldn't do it then because uh, the Sisters of Mercy adage was that you have to be faithful to the little things that you promise, not just the big things. So uh, I, I've got to look at those commitments. But you've been approached on the Republican side? I've been approached by uh, people that are Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Uh, if I were to do it, I would do it as an independent. You're giving it serious consideration? I'm giving it uh, serious consideration because of my respect for people, my consternation as to how this country has become uh, with uh, citizens really hating other citizens, the lack of civil rights for people that continue unabated in this country. And I think I would have a forum uh, because of my background to address those issues because Congress is behind a lot of the festering hatred that occurs in this country because they want to be uh, reelected. I also have to look at whether the Lou Polners of the world, uh, who I was smart enough to hire, and this gentleman, <laughs> Mike, that I consider a Democrat hero when he was in the General Assembly, well, I could get people who would say, you know what, for 15 months we're going to join this movement and we're going to try at least to address what this country ought to be. When do you uh, think so you'll make I'll a think, decision? Well, I, I'm taking counsel among people. I haven't you know, obviously, there are deadlines that you started the top of the show with, but I just want to take a look at it and take my time. But uh, weighing heavily against a run is the personal commitments and that so, i got to make sure I can fulfill. And so finally, obviously, money's always an issue, but name recognition. Well, let me talk. Let me ask Lou about name recognition with Arlene. I think she, yeah. I mean, everybody knows who Arlene Violet is. I uh -oh. mean, <laughs> No. But seriously, I mean, the first female attorney general? And a, and a nun, they, I mean, you you built a career on just such great character. And uh, I just, uh, I think she'd be a great candidate. Yeah. And to your point, I woke up yesterday uh, or after the indictment was announced, and I said, I don't recognize this country anymore. Yeah. And that's exactly what yeah. you were just saying. All right, to be continued, let's talk uh, about that. Late Thursday night, we're taping on Friday morning, Donald Trump was indicted. Uh, uh, in Manhattan, and we don't know, Arlene, let's begin with you, and actually, it's, it's funny, we have, I did not plan this, we have three lawyers, we have the firm of Polner, Marcello, and Violet. Um, <laughs> let me begin with you, because we don't know exactly, by the time you watch this, we may know what the charges are, we kind of have a feeling what they are. How do you feel at first blush about his getting yeah, yeah. indicted? Uh, it's always wrong, I think, to discuss when you don't know exactly what the uh, what the indictments are. As you know, they're all misdemeanors uh, if it just uh, pertains to hush money, but to the degree they're linked with campaign contributions, that bumps them up uh, to a felony status. So I... I in and of itself, I don't want to per se comment about that, but I will say something about timing. There were three more serious uh, investigations going on that I think people would identify more with. Uh, I think we're going to have an attitude about this blush of indictments, very similar to the old days, you know, when mob guys were indicted. They were indicted with the pen right. because they didn't pay taxes. But I remember people, you know, discussing back then, they said, hey, they would whack a guy here, they'd whack a guy there. They don't get him for that. They get him because they didn't pay a few taxes. What's go, that all about? Go, it's I think Al that's Capone. Gonna, yeah. yeah. That's uh, right. I think that's going to be the reaction, frankly, uh, to the, the timing of this Trump, because I think it's the least you got uh, Georgia, of all of the above. You've got the documents, and you've got the January 6th. 6th. To me, if you had one prosecutor, I don't have to tell you guys, you've all been in the legal world, if you, one prosecutor was overlooking the, the uh, entire situation, you'd start with your strongest case. 
New York looks like almost the weakest case. Of those three or four they're looking at, what do you think's the strongest I think the strongest case Trump? is the Georgia election, yeah. election issue. Because you have yeah. it on tape. You have it on tape, and you have the calls that were made well-documented, so I think that's probably... You know, there's no, the sequence can change. I mean, so he might be indebted in New York, but that case may be more ripe to go for trial. So um, it, it, timing will be an issue, but I think, you know, wait. I think the most, as Americans, I think we have to pause a little bit and say, certainly historic, certainly a sad moment in American history that yes. a former president gets indicted. Um, but let the process play out, right? We, the, he will now have a trial before a jury of his peers. He's presumed innocent. Um, so let's let the process play out, have faith in the jury system, and let's see see where it goes. They're saying that there could be as many as 30 counts just in, uh, in, 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 in New York. The reality is, is that the hush money was paid in 2017 and it's 2023 and there's a six-year statute of limitations. Do you think that's what's driving this? I think that's what, if, if, if he was hell-bent on bringing an indictment, he was under a time constraint. And I agree that just because they were first to indict doesn't mean that they're the first to go to trial. I think that there very well could be the Georgia case, uh, could be the documents. But the documents, not so much because mm -hmm. Biden's in the middle of that and Pence is in the middle of that. So I think it's either going to be the Georgia case or January yeah. 6th. Yes. Then the timing, I mean, you know, the wheels of justice don't always move as quickly as we'd like. Does this push it into the election cycle? I, realistically, I mean, even in New York, are they, would they be ready for trial sometime this year or not? They could potentially on that, but I'm sure that would uh, be a decision that Trump's lawyers would make as to whether they want to go to trial and see exonerated. They don't know the answer to that because they don't even know what the evidence is. As you know, when you're charged, you have a right to the grand jury transcripts and proceedings, so they'll evaluate then the case and I think decide whether to try to rush it to trial uh, because it's so weak, or if it looks pretty strong, uh, I think they'll delay it. Delay, delay, delay. One thing it has done, however, is, is uh, ratchet up the fundraising. So Trump is now using the indictments and potential indictments for, you know, give me more money, help my campaign, you know, those type of issues. So there so. is the legal and then there's the political. How do you think this, all of this, I think it depends on what else happens in the other cases. In the short room, it looks like he's using this to his political advantage. But if he gets indicted in Georgia and on some of the other cases, that's problematic, isn't I mean, it? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, yeah. he, he had a good run. But, you know, he's just not the cleanest guy that we've ever seen in politics. The, the things he says, the things he's done. Uh, we've all just his business just got convicted. His accountant just went to jail. I mean, there's a lot there. And I think that at some point, because of legal expenses alone, He's going to dry up on the fundraising. I, but th what surprises me is he's now jumped higher in ratings against DeSantis, yeah. which I don't understand. It's like an extra 10 points. We'll see what happens. Politically, what do you think? Uh, I, politically, uh, I think it helps him in the short run. But people will get very, very weary of him and enough already. So I think uh, if it's cumulative, it's going to hurt him politically. I want to say one thing. Even if it is political... Who but people on the opposite side of you bring out what your problems and errors are? When you run for office, of course your opponent, that's the only person who has really studied you to try to take you down a peg or two. So yes, it's political when they criticize you. When Denny Roberts criticized me, sure, it was political, but he was the one who had this interest uh, to defeat me. So that doesn't make him like a bad guy or that it wasn't political. It could be true. So I, I think people have to and just... And that'll all shake out with the voters. That'll all shake out. Absolutely. So last 
question for you. The fact that, and a lot of people have made, I'm sure Trump will make a lot of this, is the fact that previous prosecutors, Cy Vance and others, passed on this case. Does that trouble you at all, or does every prosecutor take a fresh look? I think every prosecutor does take a fresh look, uh, because some are political, you know, and they weigh the political factors. For other people, it's less of a point of, of uh, politics. They just think that what is, is, and that's what we're going to do. And apparently, that's what the Manhattan DA has opted to do. But that. he ran yeah. on it. He actually said yeah. in his campaign, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Yes. And so it, that's where it becomes political. If he had just yeah. kept his mouth shut, it wouldn't look so bad. But you have the 12 jurors who will ultimately decide right, whether it's political or not. He crossed the line. So that's why that's why we have to kind of like all calm down and, and let's, let's and look, look at what the charges are. We're right. speculating. Exactly. We don't know exactly. what the law and the charges are. You know, everyone talks about Stormy Daniels, but don't forget there was another woman, Karen McDougal, who got $158,000. And that was where Peter, uh, no, David Pecker, who was the yeah. head of the National Enquirer, yeah. he's testified twice before the grand jury, what they call catch and kill. He paid her for her story when she had and every expectation. And then he killed the story as a favor to Trump. So there are a lot of things here that are just kind of smelly. Mr. Trump's explanation is going to be, but this was all about my family. I never really had an affair with any, either of those two women. I paid money because it was going to hurt them. It was going to hurt my campaign. But I didn't do it uh, out of a, he didn't the, the malicious Arlene. intent. He didn't, he didn't inhale. Except the timing of the payments are right before the election. <laughs> well, I guess because... Well, and that'll all be laid out in court. It'll all be laid out. Okay. It's a tough case. Last week, we were talking, uh, last week we were talking about the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium that uh, Pawtucket has put a pause on its portion of the funding. Obviously, rising interest rates and other things going on. This has affected other projects. Lou, you know, Governor McKee is flying the flag, saying things are going forward. Don Grebian, the mayor of Pawtucket, seems to be confident. As you look at this, are you confident? Governor McKee has been saying that he's in touch or he's going to be in touch with Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, to tell him to ease up on the raising of these rates so we can get things done here in the state of Rhode Island. You think Powell will take that call from the governor of Rhode Island? Not a chance. And the reality is it was a commitment that the governor, remember he went down there and made the, the, the deciding vote to get this thing passed. Mm. He was close with Grebian. He wanted to help Grebian. But I got to tell you, I mean, whether it's the Fane Tower, whether it's the Superman building, whether it's Tidewater Landing and the soccer stadium, I don't see any of those problems. And high schools in Warwick, Warwick and yeah. Pawtucket. That's yeah. a big, fortunately, East Providence got its built we got it, we got before, it beforehand. Yeah. before all this. Mike is the solicitor in East Providence, so he knows it. Uh, but I, well. I do think the interest rates are having an effect on the economy. That's a big loss for Pawtucket if they can't get that stadium, you know, built. The Superman building. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the national economy does have an effect even in Little Rhode Island, and it's a shame because we need, you know, the development is there, the plans were there, but if the, we don't have private investors, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, blaming, of course, uh, Powell for this is is like a magician. It's certainly a misdirection, mm. but we're in a hocus-pocus play. I mean, it, chances are that this wasn't the brightest idea to have the stadium. They play 17 games or so, then it's empty the rest of the time, just like with the first Poor Sox thing. Oh, we're going to have all these concerts. It never Bruce happened. Bruce Springsteen is it's not a, booked for uh, the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium? He's not going to be booked for the soccer stadium. So, yeah, I, I just think it's a total misdirection, and it's a little bit arrogant, too, to say that oh, I'm going to 
dictate to the Fed chair <laughs> that he's doing something wrong. Clearly, it is an element, the interest rates. There's no doubt about that. But certainly, the Democrats have overspent money. Uh, you know, they've thrown COVID money out there. They don't even know what to do with it. So the Democrats' policies have also contributed to the inflation that's going well, on. Well, you now. make a great point because Governor McKee has kept the state of emergency. He will do it until the last day, that yes. the, until Biden calls it off in May, because we've benefited financially from that, right? Right, right. And we don't even know what to do with the money. Yeah. I also see, I, I heard Governor McKee saying, look, they had approval from this a year ago. Interest rates have just started going up. They should have had their ducks yeah. in, in an order. What, so what do you think about that argument? I, I think it's a decent argument. But in the Could have gotten financing before <clears throat> all the interest rates went and up. Why do you think they were so scared about banks failing? Because they bought low and now the interest rates are high and everything they bought is underwater. Uh, yeah, you know, you sit on your hands and this is what happens. And I mean, I thought this stadium, my dear, had a big L on it from the beginning because as Arlene said, 16, 17 games, it's Pawtucket's snow. What, what do you think is going to happen, Mike? I think the fear from the political specter is that they're going to ask the state for more money. And that's going to be very politically hard to get through the General Assembly and, and whatnot. So, but he's got money in the ground right now. So, I mean, it, that's hard to walk. Yeah. And they always say it's hard to walk away right. from. I think but. they'll, I mean, if it, uh, hopefully, it probably will have to get scaled back in some some fashion. But I think it has to be completed. Otherwise, we're looking at a big hole near the, the, the Blackstone River. What do you think is <laughs> going to happen? Uh, I don't, they're going to ask the state. I don't think the state's going to give them the sure. money. I mean, if, if real investors won't invest, what's the state doing investing in a project that other investors who have to use their own money would say, oh, no, this is not a good idea? I think it's a ripoff for taxpayers, and uh, I, I don't think they're going to get the money from the state, although they'll ask. They'll, they will definitely right. ask, yeah. All right. For years, legislation has been filed at the General Assembly to roll back the so-called payday lending. This allows some uh, lenders to, <laughs> to charge up to 260 percent in interest. You, that is not, uh, do not adjust your TV sets. That is correct. Mike, you sat in that chamber for many years. How many years did they uh, propose? I was elected in 2008, served in 2009 to 2016. So every year that bill was there. So, so what makes <laughs> it different now is 50 at this count, legislators have said, bring it out to the floor. It never got out of committee, did it? I don't think it ever got out of committee. The, there's two differences, however. Signing a letter is one thing. That's great. Asking for them to discharge it from committee, a discharge petition is something. A letter to the speaker asking them to please let me have this bill is a letter. But the, the rules also allow, I think it's 38 members, to actually discharge the bill from committee to force it, to force it, force it but to the floor. So that's I'm watching. I'm waiting for that. If that that's where the where the uh, where the real power lies. If those if those 30, at least 38 of those 50 are willing to sign a discharge uh, petition. But that puts you right in the crosshairs of the speaker because you're challenging the speaker's authority to. And you got to worry about your other legislation. Correct, correct. And is he going to back me on correct. that? I give a lot of credit to John Lombardi representative. He's really uh, putting himself out there. He's he, he's shepherded the 50 or more. Uh, of the legislators in the House to uh, sign on to this bill. And you know what? He's right. It does hurt the disenfranchised the most. People on fixed incomes, minorities, people in poor neighborhoods. Uh, 
I, I, I think it's just, it's time. One of, I'm sorry. One, of the, I'm sorry. one, of, one of the things that are interesting, however, people just talk about the banking, the, 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 lobby, the interest, the lobbies for that group itself, but there's also a real estate component there. A lot of these stores, uh, these lending are in storefronts. Mm. And so when I was there, uh, the, the landlords had a, had a lobby because they want, you know, that, that's a good business cash to have. Ca ca yeah, yeah, cash. The, no, the landlords are the plazas in which these people where, where rent, they where they located, rent. Yeah. yeah. And, and the landlords would, got paid in cash. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What a surprise. <laughs> and it's probably not coincidental that the chief lobbyist is the former Speaker of the House, Mr. Murphy. Yeah. Bill yeah, Murphy. Yeah, you know, Bravo Lombardi, uh, to me, the number one blot on Democrats in particular in the Rhode Island General Assembly is this payday loan fiasco. Uh, to, to allow that much interest to be paid uh, uh, to, to people uh, that lend them uh, money when they're in a, a, a terrible situation, which is what exactly happens when someone wants a payday lending. It's unconscionable. And to me, this is a blot on the Democratic Party, and they're saying how much they're for the common person. Yeah, no. They'll prove it. The They'll only prove it if, if the payday lending bill uh, ch changes. They've it, got to change it, it otherwise they're hypocrites. It creates a never-ending cycle of debt for these people. And that's, it, it, again, it, it's it's abusive. I think there's a, a, a bigger progressive element now in the House when I, than I was there, and I think it, there's a good chance it will get out. Did you ever see a dis discharge petition? Never. Oh, that just never happened in Maddie Ella or Fox, It never right? happened. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a nuclear option up there to do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you could destroy your own political yeah. future if you did that. Okay, um, moving right along. Uh, the, uh, Kathy Gregg had an interesting uh, story in political scene on Monday in the journal about the Ethics Commission, the Rhode Island Ethics Commission, and the headline was, Is It Rigged? Now, that's an explosive headline. Uh, there have been some troubling decisions over the years, and, and more recently about a firefighter who's introduced a bill, wants to uh, sit on a committee about allowing PTSD for firefighters. So at first blush, you would think, that's a conflict of interest. The Ethics Commission said it wasn't. Yeah. So talk about the class action. What, what do you think about it? Well, Catherine Gregg, bravo to her yeah. for exposing this. <clears throat> Just think about it. Class exception, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but think about it. This commission is awash in conflicts of interest. They're married to people that it would affect uh, that person's money and pensions and everything else. So how can people who themselves are on the Ethics Commission and conflicted to start with, how do they ever even identify a conflict with a party out there when they don't even recognize their own conflict. It is rigged. It's disgraceful. I really take the bat, to, and I like Joe Sakachi personally, but I take it to the people up there that appoint these people or put their names on the list. It's an absolute positive disgrace. It's rigged. We have a strong ethics law, but they have totally gutted it with this game they're playing. And you have to, <clears throat> when you consider the Ethics Commission and the fact that it's rigged, the Judicial Nominating Commission is also rigged. Yes. While the governor is the one who is always making these appointments to the bench or to the commission, he has to pick from lists supplied to him by the Senate president, the Speaker of the House, the minority leader. In reality, it's the uh, elected officials who are force-feeding the governor, and he has to pick from each. It's like Chinese food. Order from A, B, C, and D. And so he's not really making the picks. It just looks like he is. Yeah. It's the legislators. Michael? I would just say, as long as we have a part-time legislature, we're going to be ripe with these kind of conflicts within the legislature. That's just, you can't expect people to give up their day jobs um, and then serve in the General Assembly uh, on a part-time basis. But at the very I, I, least, I, in this case, with Representative Casey, take yourself out. I mean, wouldn't you, as a, just 
as a representative, say, I really shouldn't be part yeah, of this. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are uh, 74 other people who could have put that bill in for him. Exactly. Or, or whatever. To be in the crosshairs is probably not a good idea. I Listen, listen I'm a, I, I, I was the person who pushed through the ethics reform to get the legislature back under the umbrella of the ethics right. commission. So I believe in the ethics commission. Could there be reforms or changes, even maybe the way they're appointed? Perhaps. But we've got to look at it because we're losing faith in our system. What I don't get is it started year. The thing that struck me was kind of at first blush, the common sense this smells when they allowed Richard Leach. And I feel badly, you know, obviously Richard Leach is uh, he got hit by a car. He's recovering now, but he's a judge. He got he was <laughs> Link Chafee's director of administration. And they said he is not in a policy making situation. So that allows him to become a judge. And that does that not erode the faith of people looking at the process? It does. The Ethics Commission and Constitution of its members right now has made it a joke, mm. a bad joke. Mm. They all should be replaced with people who are truly independent, mm. who have an understanding of ethics because they're not already marinated in their own personal ethical challenges themselves. John Marion ought to be leading up that commission. John Wright. What about that when Leach got appointed? What did you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's not... Good judge. It, it, great it, judge. It, but it's not just to him, and he is a great judge, and may he, he heal 100%. Yes. But we've had other judicial appointments of people coming out of the Senate and out of the House of Representatives. Aaron Lynch Prada's on the uh, Supreme Court go. right that, now, right? Did, she didn't wait a year. It's... It, it's, it's Repugnant. Just saying. And by the way, they are good appointments. That's not the point. The Ethics Commission just saying, yeah, that's okay, that's okay, that rubber stamping, whatever they want from the governor's office is just out of control. Okay. Let's do uh, outrageous or kudos. Michael, what do you have this week? My kudos is that I read in the journal this week that for the first time in American history, the uh, energy we create from renewable sources was greater than the energy uh, that we created from coal. And I think we're on the right, right, right direction. I think. Um, Does Joe Manchin know this? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, uh, tornadoes in Mississippi in March, April, um, the, the weather, the climate change that we've had, these, these super, super storms that are just, you know, battering the West Coast. I, I, think, I think we're finally awakening to the fact that we've got to start doing something about our climate and, and the way we produce energy in this country. Th- uh, we're th- going to be underwater. I think <laughs> what you see in California is just yeah. frightening. Yeah. I mean, that, that range, and they've been in a drought. So, I mean, it's almost like the locusts and the famine, and, and now it's the plenty. But, but in California, you, I think a lot of people got to reevaluate whether they want to live yeah. out there. Yeah. Outrage, Kuro? Uh, yes, death by guns uh, has mm. now surpassed the leading cause of death among teens and children. That is such a sad indictment in this country. And frankly, I, I think the Republicans have to uh, step up to the plate, uh, certainly the local Republicans as well. Assault weapons should not be in the hands of civilians. Real hunters don't need assault weapons uh, when they go after the, uh, their prey. Uh, the gun violence in this country is a disgrace, is a disgrace. Uh, and we have got to care more about our children than we care about our gun. And did you see the protest at the Nashville um, yes. uh, uh, state capitol yesterday? There, Nashville, I mean, a lot Tennessee. of kids there. The other thing, Arlene, is we had an assault weapons ban from, what, the mid-'90s to the mid-2000s. Yes, and, and then it, then it expired. expired. But here's my question. I don't understand. Maybe you can help me out here, Mike. The Democrats had the executive branch, the president, they had the House, they had the Senate. Why didn't they change it in the first two years? One word, filibuster. 60, 60 mm-hmm. votes. They didn't have 60 votes in the Senate. Yeah, that was it. But you wonder, I mean, what a time. It almost seems like a, a quaint, naive, not naive time, but back in the 90s, how did they get that through? Because you would mm-hmm. never be able to do that in this polarized yeah. Congress. Lou? About a month ago, the 
Washington, D.C. City Council wanted to reduce the uh, criminal penalties across the board, even for carjacking. And I just want to keep reminding that just last week, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, his top staffer, uh, in broad daylight, was stabbed with a knife, a deep knife wound to his, thro to his throat and his head. My problem here is, is that, thank God, the, the Congress, and they had the right to do that, they, they overruled the city council, and it was bipartisan. Bi and it was right? bipartisan. Yeah. But the, what I just saw yesterday in a statistic, because I was really looking at it through a micro a microscope, 67% of the crimes charged in Washington, D.C. do not get prosecuted. Let that roll around yeah. your brain. Yeah. Why? 67 because there's a progressive uh, Matthew Graves, is a progressive U.S. attorney. Uh, it's, it's, but 67%. Yeah. And so it was nice that they, I mean, the bipartisan. And I, I wasn't following that a lot. And then I thought, well, if the Republicans and the Democrats are agreeing on something. Well, maybe... that's because they do. That's where they work. That's they, where they, they live. live. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only reason it was bipartisan. Exactly. All right, folks, that is all the time we have. Lou and Mike and Arlene, keep us posted. Folks, if you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we are all over social media and we archive all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively and wherever you get your favorite podcast. So if you want to take us along on a walk or maybe in the car, uh, just download the, uh, the wherever you get your podcast for Lively. Come back next week. We never know who's going to be announcing for CD1 and all of the, uh, I don't know, and all of the uh, happenings up at the General Assembly. Come back as the Lively Experiment continues. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, a Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.